three men who love to talk about triathlon. The strangest man in triathlon, Steve Lizard McKenna. The angry gnome, Tim Reed, and host, Cole Danny. This is Triathlon Therapy. Jake, it's awesome to have you here. Uh, we've wanted to pick your brains um, after you won Tassie 70.3. We want you to be involved with your opinion um, on the topics that we talk about today. And just to start with, though, we like it's a shame to have you and not talk about your race. Um, there's a lot of things I'm personally interested in, and I think if I'm interested in them, in them enough, then everyone listening will be too. So um, firstly, how did, how did it feel and... How did you well? How did you pace your run that well, being so new to seventy point three? Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. Firstly, uh, thanks for having me. It's uh, cool to chat with you guys, and uh, hopefully, you can add a little something to what we're doing here. Um, but yeah, like, in terms of the race, uh, yeah, obviously the first time for me racing over that distance. Um, so it was it was pretty interesting going in with kind of no expectation and no kind of real understanding of what it was going to be like. Um, and I think that was like a good thing in a lot of ways. Like I was kind of fully blind to it all and had a, had a few kind of numbers in my head that I thought like through the training that I could probably hit and just kind of really wanted to kind of stick to that. And um, yeah, like with the run, um, like obviously Caleb Noble took off flying from the start and uh, I just thought like, there's no way I'm doing that for 21K. So if he can, then good on him. But I just wanted to kind of stick to what I was, uh, what I had in my mind. And uh, um, yeah, I feel like I managed to kind of pace it pretty well. I uh, felt like I had still like energy at the end, but just the, the legs were having a pretty hard time, like getting a few early cramps in that last 5K. So I was kind of, yeah, worried all the way to the finish line, I guess, that something was just going to completely come undone. Did you um did you enjoy it, Jake? Like I know guys like Courtney Atkinson and some of the short course specialists that came across. I remember chatting to Courtney after a race. I don't think you'll mind me sharing this. He's just like it's just so boring. he found it quite boring. But did you enjoy yeah. enjoy the grind or or what did it feel like for you? I loved it. Yeah, I really enjoyed it a lot. Um, I thought I would as well. Um, but yeah, like the closest experience to what I like what the 70.3 is, I guess, for me, is Noosa. Um, and that's obviously just Olympic distance race, um, but obviously it's just on the time trial bike, which is the only real difference. And I always love training for that race to finish off the year um, and getting to spend some time on the bike and do some solo work. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed it and kind of, yeah. So in the race, um, I had a, a hard time not just racing it. Um, I had to kind of hold myself back a lot, especially early on in the bike. I like really wanted to just like push and see what had happened, but kind of had to be a bit smarter. Obviously, it's a long day out there. So, um, what about the yeah, run pacing? That, that's did you, if you see Caleb Noble run away, you know from your run times and what you can do that you could easily, um, you know, do five k's in fifteen minutes straight off the bat. So was that really hard to not be tempted to go with him when you know, knew you easily could? Uh, yeah, I think the reason it was probably not super difficult for me to let him go away was because it was just the first one and I like I had no results I wanted to get. Like I had no expectation. Obviously, like the better I could, the higher up I could finish, the better. But 
yeah, I think if he was going to win the race, then that was okay with me in a lot of ways. Um, so, yeah, in my mind, I thought, like, I'd start off around, like, 3.20. Like, I would have loved to hit 3.15 pace for the run. Um, I think it wasn't a, a quick run course, so that was probably a little unrealistic if I had looked at the actual course. But, um, yeah, I just wanted to kind of keep it even and... Um, yeah, I did like a pretty good job of that. I haven't like seen actual splits to see exactly how well it was paced, but you're you I did think, well. It's it's um, about where you started and finished. Yeah, going so. off field. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 I think it's funny. Feel like I felt like I'd done a good job. It's funny, Jake. You talk about not actually wanting to win and putting down a really good performance. Um, Steve might attest to this too, but I found that. Whenever I really want to win a race, whenever I wanted to really win a race, you would miss pace over a race. So you start worrying about other people. And there's something really um, almost freeing about not having any expectations. And it seems to be behind a lot of the greatest performances we've seen in the sport. It's when, you know, guys in Kona have had six weeks of injury and they go in and just smoke it. Or, you know, even for yourself on debut to just lay down a performance like that. Did you feel, did you feel like you were just nice and free of any expectations or did you feel the pressure uh there was pressure i think being just the local being the tassie athlete in the tasmate like the first 70.3 in tassie um so i had pressure from that but i think i wasn't really putting it on myself too much um obviously i ideally would have gone there and won and that was kind of the goal i suppose but i just didn't know if that was possible if that was going to happen um so yeah, it was uh, yeah, it was just a, an interesting thing, and I've even thought it like in the day since the race, like lining up next time. I wonder if I'll be able to be so calm in that first lap of the run. Probably <laughs> don't think I would, or it'll be a lot, lot more difficult to just stay relaxed. But um, yeah, I feel like it was kind of a nice way to start it off. Oh, well done. It's impressive. It took me three years to um, pace a run properly. Yeah. Oh, Steve, Steve would absolutely have gone with Noble for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Even when I, I knew that I couldn't do that pace for five k. <laughs> oh, well done, um, Reedy or Danny. Do you guys have any other questions? I've got a few that I want to ask, but if you guys have any, um, you go first with it. I think my questions would have aligned with yours, Steve. I'm just curious about what your plan is going forward, Jake. Um, given, you know, obviously you've been part of the high-performance team and focusing on ITU, does this change things from what you're planning for the year or is it had you already sort of made up your mind to mix in a lot more non-drafting racing? Yeah, uh, it doesn't really change things too much. Um, I think I, my interest in the long-course stuff has increased a lot over the last probably yeah, 12 to 18 months. Um, I'm a, definitely a lot more motivated by it than I was before then. Um, and uh, I think just having the announcement of the Tassie race, it all kind of just came together really well for this one to kind of, was almost a no brainer for me to decide like this will be the first one. Um, but yeah, I think for now, like the focus kind of turned back. Well, the focus is still, I guess, on the Olympics um, for next year. So I didn't really have a super specific preparation for this race on the weekend. It was just kind of following the normal training plan for getting ready for the upcoming season and um, hoped, it, hoped it would be enough to kind of slot it in. Um, 
but yeah, I think for me now, the focus kind of really is, uh, is on Paris next year. And then I think after that, um, I'll for sure be, I'd say fully committed to, to the middle distance. Um, can I come back to the volume changing or not in a second? But first I was just on, on you focusing on the Olympics is your support to be a full-time athlete, mostly from Tri Australia. How is the support and is that all the support or do sponsors mostly keep you afloat as well? Yeah, so the support's probably kind of comes from like the three different channels, I guess. There's obviously um, being an Olympic sport, we do get funding from Tri Australia, um, which is uh, obviously super helpful. Um, and then the other two are prize money and sponsorship. And uh, I'd say it's usually kind of a, a pretty even split. Um, so yeah, something that I think is uh, has been nice to rely on is uh, is having that kind of support. Kind of, I've been in the high performance team since I was probably fifteen years old, um, mm. and obviously, like the level of racing and the level of, of support that I've got through that time has changed significantly. But I've kind of really like come through that uh, pathway program that they'd established back then. So um, yeah, I think it probably will look quite different to moving forward after the after the olympics um once i kind of make that switch to the long racing um but yeah i think uh you just kind of need to yeah if you have any advice maybe let me know but i guess you really need to uh, push those sponsors a little and um uh, yeah i guess um yeah just rely on some good racing too we uh we spoke last week about the the test event for the olympics that i think is on is it a thursday or a friday I don't know. I, I think I think I think it is because we watched an interview with Christian Blumenfeld who said that um, it's a Thursday or Friday, uh, and then his plan is two days later to get himself to Singapore to do the PTO Asian Open. Yeah, right. Try Australia okay. let you do that. Wow. Um, uh, they're usually pretty open to things, um, uh, but yeah, I think. Yeah, realistically, I probably won't race another like middle distance race until after Paris. Okay, PTOs is, is they'll they'll probably give you a slot if you apply, so just keep it in mind. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just back yeah, to Tasmania uh, real quickly. So when they did the helmet checks, being a local, but the first Tasmanian race, were they checking the locals' uh, feet for webbed? toes and extra toes <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah they were confused when i when i only rocked up with one helmet they didn't know what was going on. <laughs> such a dad joke really i know but, um, <laughs> no, but back to tazzy just real quick that course i mean all the guys i had that race said it was a really like fair nice race and actually split up a bit um did you find did were you a big fan of the race and you think it'll be a success going forward uh, yeah, I think so. Um, I mean, I have kind of nothing to compare it to with that, like Ironman world, obviously my first one, but yeah, I'd say it was a really big success. And the, by the sounds of like speaking to other people, like it seemed like a really cool event that, um, right in the heart of Hobart there, it's like an amazing spot to have a race. Um, and to be able to do it right there in the city is something that's really cool. And I think we don't really get the opportunity to do much of, um, especially in the long course stuff. I think like in the IT world, we do a bit more racing kind of through the city centers of different locations. But yeah, I think it's um, 
quite a, a different thing. And I think even the bike course, like it's quite challenging with the rolling hills once you get out to the lap. So um, I think it, it does add something different to what's at a lot of other events. So um, yeah, I really hope it will continue to be successful and continue to grow in the years to come. Cool. Nice. Well, who's, um, how do you get on training for ITU by yourself in Tasmania, Jake? Because you're there most of the year, are you? Yeah, I probably am 50-50 between here and overseas, Um, I guess. Yeah, for the most part, I train solo while I'm home, um, which which I really, I enjoy. Um, It's kind of the the easiest way to do it, I suppose, as well. Like I can do things on my own terms, um, roll out the door when I feel ready and things like that. So for a lot of reasons, it's it's really nice. Um, And... uh, it also works out quite well that I'm doing that through the periods of the year where I'm kind of more aerobic based, I guess, and just kind of building that strength. And then once the racing really kind of kicks off, I'll head overseas and join the group and really kind of, I guess, uh, sharpen the body up and really kind of add that extra race uh, specific type of work in with the group. So um, yeah, for me, it's a good balance. Um, I think looking at it, I guess you'd be better off with the group 100% of the time um, in terms of performance, but I also, I, I love being home. Um, this is just kind of what works best for me, I guess. Um, congrats on the engagement. Um, what's your partner's name and what does she, is she going to, does she travel around with you or what's the, how does it all work? Yeah, thanks. Um, yeah. So Millie is a teacher. Um, okay. So she's like pretty, well locked into being here but obviously teachers get reasonable holidays so kind of spread out through the year so pretty much whenever she gets time off um, she flies over to wherever I am if I'm overseas um, kind of has her two weeks holiday to kind of get rid of the jet lag and then kind of has to fly straight back home so (laughs) it's a it's a pretty tough gig for her but um, yeah we kind of make it work I guess. Oh cool. Do you um did you have the same coach from ITU to this seventy point three Hobart or did you make it up your own the um schedule for training? Yeah, yeah. So the schedule, yeah, still same coach. Um, Joel sets the the plan um throughout the whole year. Um, and yeah, really, this kind of first few races of the year, obviously with Tassie, and then the next couple coming up. Um, we haven't changed anything really. Um. The sessions that I did like this January were pretty well exactly the same as what I did last January and kind of the year before that. Like we make small adaptions to kind of what we think needs to change, but the foundations of the work, I guess, stays the same. And um, yeah, over the last few months, I guess, since December, since starting training, it's really just been about getting that aerobic base and then uh, kind of adding some strength in over the last probably five weeks or so. Um, And then we'll kind of, Add, add the speed to kind of get ready for the shorter stuff uh, a bit later on. Cool. So that's. Are you um, gonna, sorry, you go, Steve. You, no, you go. I've asked. I've asked many questions. I'll um. <laughs> I'll chill out and let you ask one. Uh, you, you've already said you're not um going to focus on any middle distance uh after you know leading up to the Olympics. But would there be room to do Tassie again next year, given the timing? I was thinking about it today already. Um, at first, I thought no, but then I thought, well, uh, 
it worked off the like base training this year, so why couldn't it work next year? <laughs> so uh, we'll see. Maybe I'll try and come back for that one again and kind of kick the year off at home, which was nice. There you go, Steve. Don't do it. You want? You're not going to win. <laughs> yeah, we are running a bit quicker by then. Um, well, they, I want to start moving towards the topics that I said we'll cover. We we want to cover some stuff and. Um, without any negativity, as I said earlier to you, Jake, we try to give our opinion um, and it's just an opinion. At least one is a study. So they've actually, they actually know what they're talking about. Whereas um, we're just, um, we're always giving our opinion, but following it up with, I'm not a scientist. <laughs> <laughs> or a doctor. <laughs> so, but, but, you know, someone like, um, like Danny as a real fan of the sport, giving his opinion. Uh, me, a current pro, yourself, uh, a much different pro in ITU, but now dabbling in 70.3 and um, our only medal chance besides maybe Hauser really um, in the Olympics. And then Reedy being a world, yes. Is that is that cutting anyone deep or <laughs> is that fair? <laughs> I'm sure there's someone um, who's at home crying right now. <laughs> yeah, okay, I've started the negativity already. So. <laughs> um, and then Reedy being a world champ, so... Yeah, I guess the opinions um, are spread out a bit um, and Reedy's more on the coaching side now, so he's got some other perspectives and coaches a lot of people. Next topic is a sleep study. They looked at the effects of rigorous late-night exercise on sleep. They examined it in many different ways, and you can look up the link in the show notes if you want to see exactly what they looked into. It was 11 subjects, seven men, four women. They were well-trained, and then their age was mid to late 20s, and the results were that vigorous exercise before bed did not disrupt sleep. Only heart rate or cardiac autonomic control for the first few hours of sleep. It's basically comparing whether people slept better after exercise late at night to not to days where they didn't exercise and they did sleep better after the exercise. My my concerns with the study and the implications it would bring is they people that don't if you don't have to get up to go to work or do anything else like have kids up in the morning and things like that then yes it is better to just um, it's okay to train at night and then get up when you want to. Um, because you can sleep in, still get the necessary time you need to sleep. Um, my, I also wonder, like, is it? It's comparing relatively fit people. I mean, it's not certainly not elite with VO2 max of 54, but they're people that are obviously healthy. And is it comparing to days that they don't exercise at all, Steve? Because yeah. I would think that they would probably just be, yeah, be in a better state for sleep after some sort of activity. Um, so I don't like that they, they should have compared to a days of morning training compared to evening training, I think would have been yeah. a better study. Uh, obviously the, I already t- talked to you guys this offline, but the, um, you know, there's a bit of a hypothesis out there that some people are morning people and some people are evening people. Cause it helped the human when we were living in tribes, it helped the tribe stay safe so that you'd have some people more alert at different times of the day. So you have only having 11 people in the study. I, I wonder whether that is a bit of, obviously most sports science studies have pretty limited number, but that's sort of a limitation as well. 
The other thing that concerns me is in summer, I'm always telling athletes to try and get the training done early because it's just so bloody hard to rehydrate before you go to bed. You know, if you do a hard session in the evening, uh, it's hard to get rehydrated by the time you go to sleep. So your heart rate's higher. Um, It can take, you know, a good four to five hours to really hydrate well, if not more, before sleeping. Not to mention just just doing a, a bike session to um exhaustion which is what it sounds like in the study that sounds pretty high intensity right before bed i'm a big fan of easy aerobic sessions before bed jake what do you reckon jake you just swam as well didn't yeah. you was it hard or easy <laughs> uh it's an easy swim um so i should be <laughs> sleeping fine <laughs> uh, but I, I love a late session but i don't often do hard stuff late um my kind of justification for doing that is like if I can spread out the sessions more throughout the day, kind of have more gap in between, it makes more of a difference than kind of getting a sessions done early in the day and then having a whole afternoon and till the morning, like you have kind of 12 hours between your last session one day and then your first session the next day, like kind of regardless. Um, so yeah, I'll often be, at a training camp and we'll be out for my like afternoon jog at 8 p.m. Um, even wow. though I've kind of haven't had that much, like I don't have a job, I don't have a kid, like I have nothing else to kind of do throughout the day. So it's, um, <clears throat> yeah, for me, I just find I can kind of rest better through the day, maybe get a bit of a, a longer nap in and then push that last session pretty late and then kind of dinner on Spanish time and then kind of get to bed after that. And that's kind of how I often do it. But yeah, again, I'm not so, doing super hard sessions late. So that's, I think that's a really key point is you're not doing hard sessions late. And also you can probably then still sleep till Spanish time in the morning. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what time are you waking up after you do an 8 p.m. run? Um, probably still wake up. When I'm in Australia, I wake up around 6 most mornings, 6 to 6.30. Um, and yeah, when I'm overseas in Europe we probably push that an hour maybe it's 6 30 to 7 30. Nice um cool so for me Steve I'm going to call it a semi hit and semi shit because I just think it's uh for, for the pros I coach I'm all about don't set an alarm let your body you know it, unless you have to really get up at a certain time I'd really prefer that you're not waking yourself up at a certain time just let the body do its thing um but it's pretty um unrelatable for most of the age group population who won't be able to like it just doesn't really apply uh who when they have to get up at 5 30 or 6 so they don't have recovery through the day i uh, but i do love um i like jake's point keep it easy in the evening and i think you can you can train late and sleep well so are you saying my hard swim just before we came on this, plus my coffee and the beer <laughs> and the fact that it's summer means that I'm not going to sleep well tonight? <laughs> <laughs> we'll wait and Danny, see. Hey. We, I wish I knew you never take your HRV. So. <laughs> hey, I've done it like four times in the last seven days. <laughs> um, Danny, what about you? You're, you're a very early riser. I often see notifications pretty early. Do you, are you someone that says, I'm not saying you are, this is a question. I, I do know a few people that say, I just like to get the training done early so it's done and out of the way. 
But if it's for fun, that, but I know you're you're a full time worker. But on the weekends, if you've got the choice, do you still get up early to train, or do you start at a leisurely hour? I like getting it done on the weekends. Yeah, I'm a nine to five worker Monday to Friday, so I don't really have too much of a choice. And when I get home from work, regardless if I've trained in the morning or not, I'm pretty beat. And plus, my partner would, you know, leave me if if I was trying to train when I got home from work anyway. Um, but then on the weekends, it's sort of the same. Like you know i'm not i'm not i've got i race once or twice a year so maybe like a month or two out from from that race i'll i'll dial it in a bit but it's more or less just i'm up at the crack of dawn anyway so might as well just get on the bike and then ideally you know my partner tash and i can go out for coffee by about 10 ish so i i guess really is this right people who are always up early and have to be to get the training done there's just that's their body clock now. Weekends, it's not going to change. They're not going to be able to sleep in anyway. So just don't try and force it if you're telling your athletes to use the time on the weekends wisely. I just It's just so hard. Everyone's just so got so many different restrictions and constraints based on their situation. So it's a really hard one to say. I, I think most people are in Danny's boat where they've just got to get it done and try not to get divorced. i gotta get married first (laughs) (laughs) well uh reedy in the study the limitations said body temperature was not taken and hormones were not measured so they've even concluded themselves that sleep sleep quality after exercise can only be speculated um laboratory environment differs from sleeping at home subjects rule fit and uh so-called good sleepers subject size was small so there's lots of limitations i'm going to say uh hit for pros uh miss for everyone else in the world seen Lionel Sanders uh, announced that he's going to be racing in the Super League Arena Games, uh, which I think the first event's late Feb. Um, and we saw Cam Worth uh, jump in uh, at Malibu late last year and unfortunately didn't progress too far in that competition. So, Jake, given you've got the most experience with this format, how do you think Lionel will go? Yeah, um, I've never done the, the Arena Games, uh, so I think it is a little bit different to the normal Super League um out in the real world but yeah it's hard to imagine Lionel being able to to do too much obviously he's going to be strong on the bike but I think I feel like he'll have too much of a gap out of the water to those guys that they can I don't even know the distances but they're going to be swimming like 102 probably per 100 um in the pool and um if you get on you get onto Zwift and you get in a little draft group um like there's not much you can do after that so it'll be interesting to see but um, i think he's got to cut out for him are they drafting or non-drafting on the no, bike in this? I'm, I'm only going by talbot's comment on on the post that he, he did saying that there's no draft um no zwift draft so that, right. that's obviously going to help him but it'll help but, it, but that's 300 meters and he has to make up 30 seconds probably Oh, I mean, this it comes down to like one or two seconds sometimes, doesn't it? Like a bad transition and, and you've cooked it sort of thing. So let alone 10 seconds out of the pool or something like that. I, I also think a lot of the long course guys, you know, really under appreciate how strong some of these guys are at riding over short distances. Like it's proper. They can 
properly ride for 30 minutes, you know, way harder than a lot of long course guys can. So I think it'll be a bit of a shock to the system. I think the fact that he won't have to use skills on the bike will be a big uh, helping hand for him because if it was actually, you know, a technical bike course, like as much as Lionel is an absolute machine on a bike, he's still so many years of not growing up riding criteriums or, you know, like if it was the traditional Super League format, uh, I think that would really hurt him, just the skill factor. But he's probably going to take home a bag of cash. It's good for it's good fun. It'll get people watching the event. I'm a big fan of it just for the I just I'm just I just love that Lionel just is like, this could go really bad, but I'm gonna go out there and do it anyway. Put it all on YouTube and success or fail, everyone's gonna be involved. And I, I know I'll tune into the event and I probably wouldn't have you know tuned in without Lionel there. So I think it's a it's a smart card to play. I don't know if it's going to work out, but I'm I'm pleased he's doing it. Yeah, good on him. Jake, what's your favourite distance? Like, is it is it just Olympic distance? or And does that Super League, is it just crazy, like the, the effort that you put in for such a short amount of time? Yeah, uh, my favourite would probably be a sprint. Um, I find even the Olympic distance gets a bit long sometimes. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, which is interesting looking at where I'm kind of headed into the long stuff in the next couple of years. But um, yeah, I find the sprint is still for me, like the most exciting um, format of like the short course racing. Um, and yeah, I've uh, kind of dabbled in the super league a little bit. Um, I did the the season in uh, 2021 and kind of have done a few races here and there before then. And uh, yeah, that type of racing is insane. Um, and uh, just, yeah, like the bike courses and the the way it kind of pans out, it it's always been really tough for me, kind of to be coming out a bit behind, out of the water. Um, there's such narrow bike courses; it's so hard to kind of make any moves. You know, you almost kind of get stuck wherever you are out of the water, and uh, for me, that's not usually an ideal position to be in. So, uh, yeah, I, I found it really hard, but it's it's awesome racing. Um, I think what they're doing for triathlon is really cool as well, kind of just adding something new, which hasn't been around for, for 20 years probably, which is uh, it's really cool to see. And it's um, I think it's good to watch as well. Cool. Yeah, the, the production for Super League is really elite, isn't it? It's really, really easy to watch versus – Sometimes the the Facebook now Iron Man. <laughs> what do you mean? Uh, Isn't it's, it? <laughs> it's definitely my. It was my go to through COVID. Like on the trainer, was I tuning into all the old, all the Super Leagues that had been on, and I find it really fun to ride my bike and watch it. Um, so I agree with you, Danny. It's a good show. I'm, um, yeah, I'm pumped to watch Lionel have a crack at it. I don't... What about what about before Harvey Bay, Reedy? During COVID, we had we had a race finally and. I'm in. I'm rooming with you, and we're going to bed at 8 p.m. I'm like, oh, this is awesome. I'm getting heaps of sleep, being forced to go to bed, and then I find out that you're watching repeats of Vincent Louis at 4 a.m. every morning. <laughs> yeah. Maybe 3 a.m. I see that light on, and you're like unable to sleep two days out from the race and just watching Vincent Louis on repeat. <laughs> that wasn't. That wasn't because I was nervous about the race. I'm just a really bad sleeper. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good stuff. Do we move on? Is that enough? We yeah. Should on. Although I will say a good example of this, and I love the guy a lot, but when Cam Worth went to try and do an ITU race, uh, it was a really, uh, I, I like I said, 
to him, I don't think this is a good idea. And I, again, I was really, I really respected that he did it. But um, I think it was a race in Mexico. But he was, it was just too much time out of the water to ever really have a chance to get back in the race. And you, it doesn't matter how good you are if it is a pack environment. I think this is different in the Lionel situation. But um, just a note out there to all the long course guys, like it's, and even all just the age group fans, it's a different sport. It's a different level of intensity. Um, even, yeah, I just I just think in the same way that I think I do, you guys need to watch Hawaii and realise that it's really not, even though it looks slow, it's bloody tough in its own way. It's like just getting an all-day tattoo. Um, it's just slow and painful. Like they're just different different sports, and uh, I love it when there's a crossover, but it's always going to be super hard when athletes go from one end of the spectrum to the other. Recently announced by Specialized that they'll be ending their relationship uh, with the triathlon world. And Reedy, I think you've got some good thoughts on this. Oh, I don't have a, t- I don't have a ton of thoughts on it. I think Specialized have always, for me, and I've got to be careful what I say here, um, because I don't want to rag on them completely. But they've definitely, you know, amongst sponsors, there's this appreciation for athletes being somewhat loyal and. Uh, I, and I can understand that. And I, and I want, for me, like uh, when I was, had the opportunity to actually um, chase a few brands, there was brands like Trek Bikes, for example, were known to stick by their athletes for a few years. They'd give them the grace of having one bad year. They were a, a company that I, I looked at like, okay, I can trust that they're going to give me a little bit of breathing room should things go bad. Whereas you saw through COVID, um, Trek stood by all their athletes, uh, and then you had specialized just like cutting athletes pay, even though bikes were flying out the doors at records on r- record sales. And then the other thing was I had a, a, a friend of mine who was really going great in the sport, um, and was getting serious offers from a lot of bike brands and specialized love to grab the hottest prospect of the time. And they offered him a bucket of money, like, you know, talking over i think from what i believe it was well over a hundred thousand dollars and he had uh offers from another brand that was much much less but i said to him look look at how long each athlete stays with specialized um you've got to factor that in and and try and think about which which brand you want to be with in three or four years time and whether you know whether they're going to give you a bad season which as it turned out he went with a different company and um I think it it's worked out way better for him because it hasn't always been a you know no one has those perfectly linear um, rises to the top and and I think this is just another case of I think Specialized being a bit short sighted. I believe even if you're not selling the uh, heaps of tri bikes, it's still really important to represent to have the best bikes at the at the top of the each sport of each discipline. Um, you know, the same way that half my questions on Facebook, on Messenger and Instagram when I was with Trek was about their extra athletes who were thinking about buying gravel bike or wanted to buy a, a mountain bike. You know, um, just having that representation, there's still going to be lots of extra athletes who uh, would have re- still followed the sport. And, and I think them pulling out of triathlon is 
first of all, really sad. And secondly, I think it's short-sighted. We said we weren't going to be negative, but that was entirely negative. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Also, I love this podcast. We will never mention the names of um, those. Who was it, really? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Jake, you've been with BMC for how long? A long time? Uh, Yeah, I was uh, for four years. Um, uh, That actually ended end of last year. Um, right. So I currently don't have a bike sponsor. So this is all like pretty Here we go. for me at the moment. Um, this is a good yeah. promo to get you one. <laughs> yeah. I'll be pumping this out. <laughs> so go listen to the podcast. <laughs> um, How did yeah, they go with you asking for a TT bike? Did they Were they responsive to that? Uh, so that was one I had from last year. Okay. So yeah, I'm just riding old bikes at the moment. Did they always give you a TT bike as well? in case you wanted to do that? Yeah, so I had the choice. Um, so yeah, well, I had the options for a few different bikes and um, yeah, obviously like I race, try to race Noosa every year. So for me having a TT bike as well was um, always a priority. Cool. Oh, I'm so I'm really sorry. <laughs> That's horrible. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't we didn't do this segment because we we thought you were well and secure. We were gonna let you give big props to BMC. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah, look, I mean, you kind of said it, but yeah, I've had a, a couple of rough years in terms of results. Um, and there's kind of, you kind of, you can't hide from that forever. Um, like, I don't think that's it for me. I'm sure I'll um, have more results coming. And obviously having the win on the weekend was kind of a nice um, sign of hopefully what's to come. Um, but yeah, I, I understand that, uh, yeah, you can't kind of stick around forever if things aren't working. So, um, and I, yeah, appreciative of the support over those years. But, um, yeah, hoping, um, excited for, for new opportunities and hopefully something comes along. It's a hard time in the in the industry at the moment from what I'm hearing. Have you have you been reaching out? And I, I hear that it's just like especially just distributors are just overloaded with stock at the moment, thinking that the COVID flurry would continue. And I think budgets are... Uh, yeah, sort of in disarray. Um, have you have you put your um, any feelers out there since the race or? Uh, nothing since the race. Um, we kind of did a little bit uh, kind of early on through the year, but like timing is kind of tough. Um, it's kind of something you want to kind of be aware of kind of midway through a year to kind of start getting the ball rolling with that. So uh, it's kind of a, an awkward situation to be in, in, like find yourself in in January. Um, but yeah, I think yeah. From from what I'm hearing at the moment, it's kind of if you're not riding gravel at the moment, yeah, um, you're probably not going to be a priority for a bike brand. But um, yeah, yeah. Just go win the Olympics. Don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Plan B. Yeah. Yeah, they can buy BMC. <laughs> what do you oh. think, Steve, about the whole about specialised? I don't know. They they had us that tri specific bike, um, but if they're still going to do UCI legal bikes and they're still fast, um, they're not really leaving. I guess. Um, yeah, I don't know. Well, it's confusing. It's, it's it's not the easiest thing, right? Like Steve, you've always like battled over the years, from what I've seen, in, specifically with with the bike sponsorship stuff. Like how many? You know, you go to the PTO rankings, for example, like how many of those top 10 25 at what point do those sponsorships fall off uh, i don't i think you can take your pick if you're in the top 10 maybe 
But outside of that, I feel like you're just hoping that they renew renew you and they don't really care unless you're Lionel, maybe Magnus, but he only just got a bike deal, really. Sam Laidlow only just got a bike deal. Like, you know, he was doing pretty well and he was fairly up in the rankings, but it took him coming second at Kona and nearly winning to finally get a bike deal. Um, it's really tough. Like Jake's just met, like Jake is an amazing athlete and he's not got a bike sponsor right now. So I don't know. It's, it's horrible. Um, I'm with Cervelo and I have been for three years, but, uh, they've had stock issues. So I'm, um, I'll be getting bikes soon, but, uh, you know, it's taken a while and COVID's messed things up a bit, but, um, yeah, I, I feel like I feel like I'm very lucky, and I'm just getting bikes. I'm not getting like a paycheck like you, Sam Longs, and all that. So, yeah, it's definitely a hard. It's a definitely a hard road until you get to that. Um, and, and then, yeah, it, it's like the primo spots are with sort of Trek and was specialized for a while. Um, but and it's it's a hard. It's you got to be. It's certainly some sort of races that seem to just tick the box and then finally you start getting some offers. But mm. um, I was, yeah, I was really lucky in that I had a, my manager gave me great advice and also had good contacts. And I don't think it was actually my results that really got me in the door with Trek to start with. It probably kept me there for a while. But so much of it's like all those sponsorship contracts, uh, a lot of it's, just getting on well with someone at the right time and right place from the company or, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of luck to it too. So I wouldn't take it personally, Jake. I think um, just keep, keep doing, doing what you're doing. And same with you, like Steve, and that I always, you know, you just can't waste your time spending uh, too much time on that stuff. And, and it's, mm. it'll, it'll all come when you keep, keep the upward rise to winning the biggest races. Yeah, I feel like I'm, mine's pure luck as well because Cervelo headquarters is for Australia is about 1K from my house. So being <laughs> being very local, that's that's the only reason they gave me bikes. There was no other reason. I think someone I knew, <laughs> someone I knew was like, oh, there's this loser that does triathlete that lives around the corner. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that was how it started. Um, I don't think I would have got any bike brand by not even now i think i'm 31 in the world that means nothing still <laughs> anyway mate thank you so much and um i'll see you around the traps hopefully get to watch your race soon yes yeah sounds good all right we're going to finish this podcast again with a prank call uh this is a prank call to my dad uh, he is just as invested in my pro career as I am. He probably gets way more nervous for races than I do, and it means the world to him <laughs> like it does to me. So I'm going to pretend that I'm uh, quitting as a professional athlete. You'll hear my reasoning in the prank call, um, and you'll hear how pissed off he is about it. He's a pretty – he's a scouser from Liverpool, and he does swear a lot, and I think this was actually – him not swearing that much, so <laughs> enjoy. Hello. Hey. Hey, how are you? You alright? Yeah. Um, I've got some How's bad news. 
Uh, it's, it's getting better. It's, um, it's, yeah, it's just gets inflamed every time I train. Okay. All right. That's good. It's on the move. Yeah. Um, I'm What's just, going on? I'm calling about, um, some average news I got. I had a phone call today. Um, uh, and I've been talking well. to, to Danny for the last hour. It was from the PTO. Um, and you know how I got, you know, if you do an Ironman, you get 10% extra. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. They they've called and um, from December first they started they they stopped they've stopped doing that so they've taken that away from me and now I've gone from thirty first. Yeah. No, I'm f- no. What do you mean from the thirty first? That's bullshit. You can't do that. Can't just change the fucking rule. What angle? No, for the, from the first of December. So I'm now fifty first in the world. I'm not thirty first. So it's kind of oh, like. Oh, for God's sake! It's a Are little. Are you fucking joking? Well, it's, seriously. Yeah, I know. Oh, that's bullshit. They can't, no, no, hang on, what about Max? What's happened to his points? Uh, well, it didn't affect him because he already had an Ironman that year, so he keeps his 10% from, like, cans uh, or whatever. Uh, well, they can't just change the rules after the event. That's but. Bu- I know. Fucking, see, that's fucking complete, nah, I don't it puts believe me that. Out that of, can't be. It puts me out of the top 50 payment. It's not a huge deal, but it's just another little thing. And, no, like, it's within, huge, oh. With the knee, though, with the knee as well, though, I've been talking to Danny. Um, It's not that bad of an injury and stuff, but I'm just getting um, a little overwhelmed with it all. And, uh, like, coaching could just go really well if I just focus on that. And I'm I'm, I'm even, like, considering retiring now. It's nearly a decision made. No, no, hang on. Just calm down here. What's going on? Just... You don't make decisions when you're feeling crap and when you're feeling low. You've had bad news. You've had a crash. You've had bad news. You've had these dickheads with their points, like a thing, which is like, like, unbelievable. <laughs> so you don't make don't make big decisions. All right, you, you have to you have to wait till you're calm. And, and you know, you, we used to do this with Pete patients all the time and say, don't make decisions while you're. De- I'm saying you're depressed, but while your <laughs> mood's low, you make fucking big decisions that you regret later. So just let, let, let's not go there with that. So you want? Oh, you don't want me to retire? Well, of course not. What the fuck would you retire? You're just, you're just, what are you laughing at? What's what's funny? Um, um, Tell me there. Is he laughing? No, it's no, it's just me. I um, I, I've already talked to him, but yeah, you're on the you're on a podcast, so it's, it doesn't matter. I'm not going to retire. Uh, <laughs> really? <laughs> a podcast for you? I'll 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 I've got to finish the podcast, but I'll call you back in a minute. <laughs> You gang of assholes, whoever you're talking to, you just set me up. I fucking believe that then. See ya.